Welcome to Doc's Outside the Box Podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry. You're getting real live insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. What's good, everyone? This is Dr. Nee. Thank you for tuning in. But let me preface by saying that I recorded this episode back in June. Now, in June, we were at the height of the pandemic. We all didn't think it could get any worse. And we were all wrong. (laughs) And I'm not laughing because it's a funny situation. I'm literally laughing to stop from crying. The way in which we're currently handling the COVID-19 response, being the number one industrialized country with a large amount or the highest amount of deaths and infected rates. It's crazy. But I'm going to leave all the specifics on how we handle the response to a different show. Maybe in a later show, I'll bring on an expert and we can talk all that and hash all that out. But on today's episode, I want to talk about really the ways in which it's been affecting our lives, right? Everyone knows that this pandemic has no boundaries. We've learned it the hard way. And in some form or fashion, we are all learning that we're all going to be affected by this virus. It ran through my family. Make sure you check several episodes in the past where you can hear about what happened, the effects of what happened when it ran through me, my wife, as well as my kid. We live in a multi-generational household, so it also affected my parents also. But we're all good now. But there are still a ton of doctors and nurses who are getting sick. There are doctors who are dying due to this virus. Nurses also. People are getting sick left and right. We also know that if you come from a certain socioeconomic background, a certain racial background, you're more prone to not only be infected, but also to die. This stuff is real. From a business standpoint, for physicians, you know, doctors' practices are closing up. They're not sure exactly when they're going to be able to open back up. Or if they've been able to open up, they've lost a lot of ground, a lot of income because of this. Just the example from my sister-in-law, she's a nurse who lives in Long Island, and she's been furloughed for her job for months. Doctors too. Doctors and nurses are being furloughed for long periods of time, and they don't know when they're going to get back. So I thought it'd be cool to bring on Jamie Fleischner from Set for Life Insurance. She's been a longtime sponsor of the show, and she's been helping doctors, medical professionals, and other professionals get coverage since 1993. It's a long ass time. I mean, I was still in high school. I was a freshman in high school, actually, in 1993. I'm showing a little bit of my age. That's just to let you know that she's been in this for a long period of time. She knows what she's doing. And she's going to come on and obviously talk about disability insurance, but talk about it from the standpoint of what it means to take a claim when you've been affected by coronavirus. And when I mean affected, we're going to talk about what it's like to make a claim if you've been sick, how long it takes for you to get any type of payment from being infected with coronavirus. Or what happens when you are forced or the state forces your practice to close down? If you're a dentist, obviously, if you have some type of outpatient physician practice and you had to close, what kind of claims can you make? The other thing that's really interesting that we talked about that I think y'all will be really interested in is this is a new time, right? So doctors, nurses, medical professionals really have a lot of say on social media. And whether we're talking about Instagram or we're talking about Facebook, whatever it may be, brands want to align with some very influential people. But what happens if you're bringing in way more income from that 
than what you're doing at your prime gig. Like how does disability or your already disability insurance that you already have in place, how does that get affected? We're also going to review some of the things that we need to know about disability insurance. As you know, she's very knowledgeable in this. So it's always good to just kind of talk about things like true occupation, own occupation, clear that out. But this is going to be a little bit of a different conversation. We're going to be talking about things that are actually happening right now. So make sure you share this episode with everyone because everyone is affected by this. Everyone from being a resident up until being an attending needs to know exactly what they're up against. And without further ado, I present Jamie Fleischner. Let's get it. Hey, Jamie, how you doing? Welcome back to Docs Outside the Box. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm surviving. This is definitely a different world than the last time we talked, which was, what, at least a couple of years ago, many moons ago. Definitely the landscape has changed. Wanted to bring you on to talk about some things that we just never thought about in the past. Thank you. I appreciate it. How have you been? You been uh, staying healthy? Staying healthy and just trying to stay afloat. It's, things have been really, really crazy. Speak to clients all over the country that have all been impacted by COVID and hearing all kinds of stories. It's been fascinating. It's been intense. All of the above. When they're calling you to talk or if you're talking to them, is COVID-19, is that like the majority of the conversation that you're having with them? Or is it that they're really concerned about it? They're concerned on several different levels. So there's several different things that I'm hearing from people. Initially, I was hearing from people such as dentists, orthodontists, dermatologists, where they were required to be shut down. A lot of those people were calling me, asking me if they could file a disability claim. And unfortunately Uh for disability insurance, the answer is no. The definition of disability says if due to sickness or injury, you can't work, it will pay you benefits. If the people actually had COVID and needed to file a claim, they could file a claim, but it wouldn't cover if it was a state mandated. That's the type of insurance that would be more business interruption insurance, which is done through a property and casualty carrier then I would recommend that they would contact them. Some people it was covered, some people it wasn't. It's sort of a state-by-state thing. That was sort of the initial hit. Since then, I've also had a lot of people who've actually contracted the virus. Some of them, they don't know how long they're going to be out of work. Some of them recovered right away. Some of them, it might be something that's long-term. Most disability policies do have a 90-day waiting period. For most people, it isn't covered unless they're out for at least 90 days. Explain that thoroughly again. You have to be sick for 90 days or? From the date of diagnosis or the date that something starts, 90 days must elapse until a benefit is paid. If something happens April 1st, they get diagnosed April 1st or the symptoms start April 1st, July 1st is about the time that they would start paying benefits. So you have to be out for at least 90 days. Somebody is out long-term or maybe there's some residual effects where they can't go back to work full-time as a result of it, that would be covered. Okay. I can imagine that not many people actually would get the benefits from this because... Most wouldn't. People that own a business, again, more like the dentist, orthodontist crowd, they have overhead policies that have a 30-day waiting period. So if something happens, it would kick in after 30 days. They're more likely. But for most individual policies, no, it probably would not kick in unless they're out for quite a long time. I can imagine like when this stuff started coming out, doctors started getting sick or people just started getting sick and the phone calls start coming in. Like, as soon as you get these calls, are you like immediately calling like the insurance companies? Like, we've never thought of this type of situation. Are they making it up on the fly, like how to take care of their clients who have? No, because it would be covered just like any other type of claims. I don't think that they're going to exclude it. I don't think going forward on new policies, they're not excluding it. 
again, there's that 90 day waiting period. So it's still, we're still kind of in that early phase where we don't know what the long-term effects are. There are some people that they think will have long-term impact on this, or there might be some other types of problems as a result of this. Maybe there's brain problems, lung problems, things like that. We don't really know at this point. This is no joke, man, but that's why we have you on here. What about- Now, one of the other changes too is more in the application process because there are requirements to obtain disability insurance and life insurance. And one of those requirements is getting a blood and urine test. And so when the states are locked down, people really don't want an examiner coming out and drawing blood and urine. So a lot of the companies have waived that requirement during COVID, which is kind of nice. And they also now do have pages on the applications asking if they've had COVID, if they've been exposed to it, there have been some impacts in acquiring disability insurance as a result. You know, we got a lot of listeners who are younger in age, and I'm talking about those who are either in residency or getting ready to become young attendings. They're healthy. You know, some of them are thinking in this form or fashion, like, hey, if I get sick, I'm, you know, I'm not married or I'll be out for a little bit and I'll be back to work. Like, talk to them. Like, why is it important for younger people, particularly the residents, so forth, to have some form of insurance to, you know, disability insurance. Why is that important? Most people, most physicians acquire their disability policies during residency. And there's several reasons. First of all, when you're younger, you're able to obtain the insurance because they ask you a whole host of medical history. And so you usually don't get healthier over time. Usually you get less healthy over time. So when you're healthy, it's easier to acquire the coverage. Number two, it's also less expensive because it's based on your age and your health. You're not getting younger or healthier over time. So you're at the ideal time. The earlier you get it and the younger you are, the less expensive it's going to be. But the real reason to get it early on is really twofold. One is to protect your insurability. So if you are healthy and you can obtain the coverage, you also pre-approve yourself to be able to buy more in the future. So down the road, as your income does increase, you don't have to answer additional medical questions. All you have to do is show that your income is increased and you can buy more benefits at that time, no medical questions asked. So if you've had an adverse change in health, you don't even have to disclose that. So that's a real big reason. The other reason is the younger you are and the earlier you are in your career, the less assets that you have accumulated, the more debt you have, and the more vulnerable you are. Taking a hit early on in your career can make a really if something happens to you early on in your career, it will be more devastating than if you're in your mid to late 50s, you've already accumulated a lot of assets, paid down debt, you may be able to self-insure a little bit. So the younger you are, the more vulnerable you are as well. One of the questions I get from younger folks is, how do I know how much insurance to get? Like, should I get something that's going to replace like my residency income or should I be thinking a year or two years down the line to something that's for my attending? For residents, it's kind of a cost-benefit analysis. As a resident, you can automatically get between $2,000 and $5,000 a month benefit, regardless of income. And it's a non-taxable benefit. Really, what I advise is figure out how much you need to insure. Some people need all $5,000 a month. Some people, maybe there's two people in the home that are working, or maybe their expenses are low, and they only need $3,000 a month. You really need to calculate how much you actually need to have. You don't need to necessarily do the full $5,000 because most residents don't even have 5,000 take-home pay. So the goal is just to cover your specific expenses that you need and to keep your expenses low. Okay, I get it. Based off of your net pay and then based off of your budget, what you perceive your budget to be, that should be the starting point of how much you think you need to insure yourself for. 
Exactly. I mean, it's the equivalent of when they're done with residency and they want to go buy their first home and the mortgage broker says, oh, you can qualify for a million dollar house. That doesn't mean you need to go out and look for million dollar homes. Depends on the area where you're looking and what your needs are and, and what you want to have. You figure out what you need to have and don't overspend on it if you don't have to. Once you become an attending, then it's time to upgrade your policy. How do you do that? Is it the same way? You just, whatever your take-home pay is or what you expect your take-home pay, net pay, you kind of just are always trying to cover your expenses, so to speak, or is it your income? When you're done with your residency, it's not a fixed amount you're eligible for. At that time, they will look at eligibility. They'll look at what is your new income and if you have any group disability benefits in force. If you have a group policy in force, you will be limited how much you can supplement, but it still makes sense to supplement. But again, yes, the answer to your question is the amount you should get should also be based on how much you need to have. You have a big jump in income that doesn't necessarily mean you have a huge jump in lifestyle, although a lot of times you have to pay off debt. I would, again, recommend figuring out how much you're eligible for and then how much you need to have and what you can afford. You've covered this in the past, but we've got new listeners who jump on and so forth. Like explain once again, like, cause there's so much confusion on the true occupation, the own occupation, like all of those different terms to determine what's going to be protected in terms of your specialty and so forth. What's the lingo that we should be focusing on? Most companies call it own occupation. Some companies call it regular occupation. Some call it your occupation. The most important thing is you want to have policy language that says if due to sickness or injury, you can't work in your medical specialty even if you can work in another medical specialty or occupation, and there's no offset. Most of the major companies already have this language. Sometimes it's tweaked a little bit differently, but it will all cover you in whatever you're doing at the time of claim. If you purchase your policy, maybe you were doing just general pediatrics or internal medicine, and that's when you buy your policy, but maybe you go on and do a cardiology or gastroenterology fellowship or some kind of subspecialty, you don't need to change your policy the policy will still cover you in that capacity. So if something happens down the road and you can't do cardiology, it will pay you even if you can go back and do general internal medicine. Mm. Okay, all right. But it's very important to make sure that it does cover you if you can't work in your medical specialty. Okay, so here's another example. Like let's say, for example, I do trauma, I do general surgery, and I do critical care. For the most part, critical care, it's just rounding on patients, taking care of really sick patients, doing minor procedures here and there. Obviously, general surgery is labor-intensive and so forth. If I get injured and I can't do general surgery much anymore, but I can do intensive care, critical care, what happens in that situation? They're going to look at two things. Number one, it's not necessarily, let's say, you know, it was 50-50. 50% of your time you were doing surgery, 50% of the time you were just seeing patients doing clinical work. And something happens and you get bad arthritis and you can't do the surgery. That's more likely to happen versus you can't do the critical care because it's more labor intensive. They're not going to look at it on a 50-50 basis saying, well, 50% of the time you're doing surgery. What they're going to do is look on it from a loss of earning basis. So if you can't do surgery, most likely you're going to have a more than 50% loss of income because more income is derived from surgery than from seeing patients. They'll look at what's the loss of income and they'll pay you that proportion. Let's say you have a 70% loss of income because you can't do the surgery you're going to get paid 70% of your benefits, regardless of maybe you go back and do 100% of the time clinical work. Anything you earn doing the clinical work, you're still going to be receiving that proportion of your benefit. Once you have a 75% or more loss of income, 
then you'll be considered totally disabled. Again, in that situation, if 75% of your income was from surgery, you're going to be considered totally disabled. Let's say you can just sit at home and do telemedicine all day long. You're still going to get paid full benefit. And one of the interesting questions I just want to get your perspective is, you know, a lot of docs, particularly the ones who are listening to this show, they are doing a whole bunch of different things. Like some people are into real estate. Some people are influencers on social media. They're bringing an income from that. Does any of that stuff, stuff that you do outside of clinical medicine, even if you're killing it, does that bear any weight as to disability insurance? Do they look at that at all? Actually, they will. Because at the time of claim, they're going to look at what the loss of income is. I had somebody, when he was in residency, he was doing an anesthesiology residency and full-time. So he got a policy as an anesthesiologist. He went on and he built this huge business and he would do anesthesiology like one day a month just to say, oh, I'm a doctor, but he does this other business. Well, he hurt his hands. He had like bad arthritis. He couldn't do anesthesiology and he tried to file a claim and the company said, you're making seven figures over here running your business. Your loss of income is like 5%. There's no claim because you usually have to have like a 20% loss of income. So even though he bought the policy saying, it's specialty specific. I can't do anesthesiology. They're looking at it going, you're still making seven figures. You're still running your business without the use of your hands. They're going to look at what you're doing at the time of claims. A lot of people have the notion that I'm only buying the policy to cover me as a doctor, which you are typically initially, but they're going to look at all of your sources of income. They're going to protect themselves. Yes. Yes. But now again, let's say this guy had a stroke or he had cancer and he couldn't run the business. It would cover him in that capacity as well. Let's say he was going through chemotherapy and he couldn't run the business. He could have still filed a claim because he would have had a loss of income from not being able to run the business. Because even though he's no longer a physician, still going to cover you whatever you're doing at the time of claim. So his coverage still would have covered him. It wasn't only covering him as a doctor anymore. That's what I wanted to know. So disability insurance does cover you, like you said, if you're an influencer and so forth, like Yeah. So let's say you bought the policy. Let's say he no longer did any anesthesiology. Let's just say He's just now a a social influencer and he's making money doing that and he's not doing any medicine anymore. It would still cover him in that capacity. Let's say he lost his voice or he went, you know, something like that and he couldn't give talks anymore. That would be considered totally disabled, even if he went back and could do anesthesiology. Really? It covers you in whatever you're doing at the time of claim. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Well, this is really interesting. But that's a good question because a lot of people now are not only doing medicine. I see so many people that, like you said, they're doing real estate. They're doing a lot of side businesses, which is great. Keep in mind when it comes to the disability insurance, they're going to look at what are the sources of income at the time of claim? What's the loss of income as a result of this sickness or injury? What about someone like me who, when I got my disability insurance, like my show wasn't doing anything. And let's say my show has taken off, right? And like, I don't know, Spotify wants to buy my show for a hundred million dollars and so forth. Like, do I have to go and like rechange my application or anything like that? It already will automatically cover me. Not at all. You don't have to. You don't have to change anything on your policy at all because it's going to cover you in whatever your capacity you're doing at the time of claim. Should, should I even have let's say something happens and you have, let's say something happens and you have a <laughs> no, but let's say something happens you have a stroke right. and you can't do podcasts. You're totally disabled. You're going to be covered. They're going to cover you in that regard, even regardless of what the income was coming in, because you're not able to do future podcasts. You had a stroke. It would still cover you in that capacity. You don't need to necessarily make any changes on your policy. Got you. Okay. And then last but not least, what about the folks who say, listen, 
I'm a resident or I'm a young attending my job. Look, I, they got me with, they already have disability insurance. Like, why do I need to get my own? It's still important to carry your own disability insurance for several reasons. Number one, most people don't stay with the same employer their whole career. That's pretty rare now. That's number one. Number two, there are gaps in coverage, even if you have something through your employer. An employer policy typically pays about 60% of your income up to about 10,000 a month. So there's a maximum amount. The employer's paying the premiums, so that amount is taxable. And then the group policy usually requires you to be totally disabled, not working. Because there's gaps, a lot of time people supplement what they get through the group. Something happens, maybe they can't work in their specialty, they're going to get paid benefits regardless of what they earn elsewhere, whereas a group policy requires them to be totally disabled, not working. If they ever leave their job or let's say they go into a private practice or do something else, the individual policy is portable, whereas the group policy, you don't want to be stuck in an employer saying, I don't want to leave because I can't lose my benefits. So you always want to make sure you have that individual portable policy. For the folks that are listening, like these policies are affordable. Our commercial with you, you've been working with us for such a long period of time. Thank you so much for supporting us. You literally were the first person that helped us really understand how our budget worked with paying disability insurance. And then we used that to take the next step in paying off our debt. I just want to say thank you again. And I want the audience to know that this is really affordable, particularly if you find the right plan. It's always important to find a broker not a captive agent. So can you explain that part also so they already understand? Yeah, there's really two different types of people that work in the insurance business. One, like you said, is a captive agent. And what that means is they are employed by an insurance company. And so they have a financial incentive to only show that one specific company. I work as an independent broker, so I'm able to work with all of the companies, but I work on behalf of the client. When somebody comes to me and wants information about disability insurance, I ask questions and then I spreadsheet it and I shop it around. So what I might recommend for you might be totally different than somebody else with different criteria. Really pays to work with somebody who's an independent broker. And additionally, we also have discounts all over the country, not just discounts for residents, but we also have unisex discounted rates, which help reduce rates for women by about 70%. Really pays to work with somebody who's got experience in the industry and also has significant discounts because it can save you tremendously over the course of your career. Yeah, I think women don't understand, or even just people in general don't understand that women pay so much more in the disability insurance. Explain that again. How is it that, I understand women pay more, but then how is it that they're able to get the unisex rates? Explain that part. Women pay more because statistically women are more likely to go on claim, but their claims actually last longer than men. So not only do they go on claim more often, they actually stay on claim longer. As a result, their rates are more expensive. We get a break on the life insurance. We live right. longer. We just struggle <laughs> throughout the process. You see the doctor way more, so you're all uh, usually more healthier. There's more autoimmune. There's pregnancy, rheumatoid arthritis. There's a lot of those types of problems more with women than with men. But the unisex rates come because the volume of business that we do. They know they're getting a large number of people. They're able to give out these discounts. I think it seems kind of odd since they're able to do it, why can't they do it with everyone? I think they just allow a select few brokers to do that because they know that they're getting quality business. It's not just one here or there. They reserve it just for a select few people in the country. Got it. Got it. So thank you for breaking that down because that's one thing that always confuses me. And I know a lot of women, they just aren't expecting like this huge difference in price from their spouses or the counterpart. Thank you for explaining that. And once again, Thank you again, Jamie, for coming on the show. You really are an OG. This is now the third time 
you've been on the show. So, you know, I wanted to thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I've always enjoyed supporting your show. I think you do a great job. So happy for you that your listener base has really grown. I think you're doing outstanding work. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey guys, listen, if you want to get in touch with Jamie, Jamie, can you go ahead and tell them how they can get in touch with you? The best way is to go to our website, setforlifeinsurance.com, S-E-T-F-O-R-L-I-F-E insurance, all spelled out, dot com. Got it. Thanks again, Jamie. I appreciate it. 